Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. We are in the second week of Advent. And just as a reminder, this word Advent is is a, uh, something that the church uh, has used over many generations to talk about this season in, in a different way than we think of Christmas. The word Advent actually means arrival. It means this time of uh, anticipation of the arrival of Jesus. To remember that Jesus once uh, came to this world and the anticipation of that, that Jesus promises to come again. But also in our life here and today, just to think about the ways in which Jesus comes to us. And so uh, for us, it, it's interesting as this Christmas season is the time where our culture really ramps things up. It hurries up. It, it becomes more and more full this practice of Advent actually calls us to slow down, to really consider our longings, our desires uh, that haven't been met, that can't be met by something under a tree. And so for us in this season of Advent, we've been looking at the different names that Jesus receives uh, through this Christmas story and looking at how these different names give us powerful truths that can change our life. So last week we talked about the name Emmanuel, which means God with us, as we lit the candle of hope. This week, as we light the candle of peace, we consider Jesus' name, the Prince of Peace. On Christmas Eve of 1914, troops were immersed in one of the bloodiest wars in human history, World War I. And on this particular Christmas Eve, something famous and bizarre happened. We know it from a letter that a British captain, Robert Patrick Miles, wrote. He wrote this. Friday. We are having most extraordinary Christmas Day imaginable, a sort of unarranged and quite unauthorized but perfectly understood and scrupulously observed truce existed between us and our friends in the front. They were, they were there barricaded on the front lines and this truth, uh, truce broke out. The funny thing is it only seems to exist in this part of the battle line. On our right and our left, we can hear them firing away as cheerfully as ever, the thing started last night, a bitter cold night with white frost. Soon after dusk, the Germans started shouting, Merry Christmas, Englishmen, to us. Of course, our fellows, they shouted back, and presently in large numbers on both sides, they started leaving their trenches unarmed, and they met in the debatable shot-ridded no-man's land between the lines. Here the agreement, all on their own, came to be made that we should not fire at each other until after midnight tonight. The men were all fraternizing in the middle, as we naturally did not allow them too close to our line, and we swapped cigarettes and lies in the utmost good fellowship, two things I guess men often share, cigarettes and lies, in the utmost of good fellowship, and not a shot was fired all night. What an interesting way to celebrate Christmas. And the question I've been considering after I thought through this story uh, was the question around peace. Was there peace that Christmas? Well, there was peace. They stopped their, their battle. They weren't shooting at each other. They weren't fighting. And enemies saw each other as just more people sharing, honestly, a common tradition around Christmas. But then again, the next day, the sun rose and the battle began. Picked right back up. And can peace, true peace, really end that easily and quickly? Despite celebrating the Prince of Peace just the day before, the orders that they received and the ideology in conflict was already ingrained. And so the, the battle picked right back up. 
And the sad truth is that Captain Miles would be dead before New Year's Eve, killed there in battle. Oftentimes, we define peace as the absence of conflict. That's how oftentimes in our culture in this day and age, we think of peace as just the absence of conflict. But I believe that God's peace, the one that we remember today, actually goes deeper. The Hebrew word for peace is this word shalom. It's this beautiful word. It's, it's, uh, it's one of the most central parts of understanding our Bible, especially the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible, is we have to understand what shalom is if we're going to understand what God was all about. And this word shalom, it does mean peace, but it also has this deeper meaning of a sense of wholeness. That when we experience shalom, we experience wholeness. That's something within us that we are made whole with mind, body, and soul, that we are made whole in our community, that life clicks together and things make sense. We are experiencing the life that we were created to live. That's a deeper kind of peace, the one that shalom that God is intending for us all. And when we have this kind of peace, there's like just beautiful things that happen. We begin to understand our purpose. We change our perspective, and we are overwhelmed with gratitude. And I know I'm not the only one who've had these moments of just peace. Uh, for me, three years ago, we were planning this church among a community of other people, and, and uh, I, I'm not the most conscious person of kind of deeper things and uh, feelings in my own life. And I didn't realize it, but I probably was having more anxiety about this change in my, in my life. And in the midst of this, it was time for an annual tradition. Over the last 10 years, a group of guys and I, we've gone on canoeing and camping trips. We call it mancation. And uh, I promise we don't swap lies and cigarettes. I promise we don't do that. But on this trip, uh, you know, with good friends that I've, I've known for a couple dec decades, uh, as we were, we were in the uh, Big Bend, we're, so we're, we're going down the Rio Grande. And just as I was going into this river and going around, it was just like, the anxiety was shedding away from me. Just the laughter that we were able to, to experience. The sense of adventure and being in community. Like all of this stuff was just starting to open up my soul. And there was a particular moment that happened on this trip where we get to the opening up of the canyon. So as you go in for the Rio Grande, all of a sudden you open up and there's just sheer walls. And instinctively, all of us just quietly laid back in our canoes and just floated in silence. Like, imagine like preschool nap time, you know? Like, we're just laying on our backs, just looking at these sheer walls, and all of a sudden, just this experience of peace came over me. Almost to say, in the midst of this, the perfect uh, recipe for me, my soul, being with good friends, laughter, adventure, and being outside, and just seeing the bigness of the beauty of God around me. And it was almost as if God said, simply, I got you. Mark, I got you. I'm with you. And this sense of peace overwhelmed me. The sense of gratitude overwhelmed me. That was a moment of deep shalom. And the interesting thing is, I know for many of us in our lives, we can also have those moments of deep shalom in the midst of conflict. And that's where this idea of peace is different than the world's peace is that we can actually have this experience of wholeness while you're in the middle of a battle, while you're in the middle of a storm. You can actually know that God's got me, like I am, I'm safe. And you can honest, honestly feel whole in the midst of a lot of pressure and conflict. 
Maybe that's why Jesus said in John 14, 27, peace I leave you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Like, my peace and this world's peace and the way in which we give it are going to be different. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives you. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. My peace is going to make you free, whole. It's going to be different. So today I want us to consider what this candle means. What does it mean that we can experience peace? What does it mean that we experience this Prince of Peace in the advent of our own lives, the longings in our own lives? And the way I want to explain it is just in three truths. Three truths about how this peace changes us and the peace that Jesus brings. God's peace is surprising. It goes deeper than we expect, and it changes our world. So first off, God's peace is surprising. We get the name uh, Jesus, Prince of Peace, from a writing of a man named Isaiah. And Isaiah actually penned this, this writing 700 years before Jesus. So think about that. 700 years before Jesus, Isaiah wrote out exactly what the Messiah would be like. And in Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, it says this, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. So this writing, this declaration happened by Isaiah. And then for 700 years, the people stood with that promise and had this sense of Advent. When would this Prince of Peace come? 700 years Yeah, 63 years before Jesus was born, a Roman general came in and overthrew Israel. So just think about that. For 63 years, they had this this longing for justice. And you can almost imagine like grandfathers telling their grandkids, hey, don't worry, God will bring a prince of peace and he will make things okay. He will kick out the Romans and reestablish peace. And the prayers and the expectations of a prince that would overthrow the government Restore the power among the people to bring about shalom. That's what people were longing for. But God was going to bring a more surprising peace. While the world was waiting for a Messiah to come in power and might, the Prince of Peace came in meekness, came in humility. He was born in a barn to poor parents. And without any fanfare, the 700 years of Isaiah's promise ended. The advent had come to an end. Now, it was customary in the time uh, of that day and age when a prince was born that a huge declaration would be made. It would be made out over the whole kingdom. Everyone would know that the prince was born. And so it wouldn't be fitting for the arrival of the prince of peace to, to come and that announcement would be made for the whole kingdom. Well, it happened. But the way in which it happened shows us how surprising God's peace would be. Who heard the announcement of this prince's birth? Shepherds. And this was surprising. We need to know that the shepherds were a very surprising recipient of this pronouncement. Shepherds were considered outcasts. Uh, because of the religious rules of the day, they were not considered clean because they were, they were uh, handling the sheep all the time. So they were known as unclean outcasts. They were not allowed in the temple uh, because of that. This meant that they also uh, lived outside the community. They were known as suspect. They weren't, weren't, they weren't trustworthy. 
Um, because of that, they were a shunned minority. You know that shepherds actually couldn't even testify in court. They weren't allowed. And yet, God chose them. God's peace would be surprising. So on a night like any other, a handful of shepherds resting by their sheep. And as the day was ending, and the only sound they could hear was the bleeding of the sheep and the crackling of the fire, in a flash, the heavens were ripped open, and there was an angel. In verse 9 of Luke 2, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Notice the, notice the presence of God. The angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause you great joy for all the people. I wonder, out of that phrase, out of everything, what probably jumped out to them is that this will cause great joy for all the people, everyone, not just the elite, not just the powerful, not just the moral and the holy, the clean, all people. Verse 11, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And if that weren't enough, suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. And as quickly as the curtain of heaven was ripped open, it was shut again. And I like to imagine these shepherds dumbstruck, wide-eyed, open mouth as the sound of heaven's worship echoed through the canyon. Just wide-eyed and breathless. But the last phrase echoed the loudest. Peace or shalom to those on whom God's favor rests. The shepherds, these least likely could they be the favored ones? Those secluded from the temple who hadn't heard the worship of God's people in the temple in how long? And heaven brought the worship to them. Heaven came to them. The choir of angel came and interrupted their night. God chose them. These shepherds then did what many people would do after they encountered this kind of grace, this, this surprising peace. They left everything and followed him. I was talking with some people this week about this passage, and this one person in particular was just really concerned about, what about the sheep? What happened to the sheep? Like, don't worry about the sheep. They're fine. We'll get back together. They left everything and went. The sheep in their place, they left them there, and they went chasing after the promise of peace. And I love what happened next. Because of the mercy of God. Verse 16. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about them, about this child. By the way, can we just stop and just imagine, they weren't told which barn, which manger Jesus was born. I just imagine these shepherds just running ransacked through the village, opening up barn doors, hoping and looking, just scaring a bunch of livestock and just finally going, wait, did this really happen? Is this really true? And then opening up this one, and there is a baby. And peace came to them. The king came to them. In the familiar smell of animals and hay and manure, there was lying their prince of peace. That's how Jesus' peace would be surprising. And I believe this is pointing us to something 
It's really important, a deeper definition of peace in the advent of our own lives. Because not only is God's peace surprising, but it also goes deeper than we expect. If we continue to study the life of Jesus, he actually doesn't seem all that concerned about the presence of Rome and Israel. Jesus sure cares about justice. He sure cares about caring for people and their social needs and their physical needs. He cares about ending oppression, bringing about freedom. He cared for people. Of course, that's what happened. But if you look at the life of Jesus, he oftentimes didn't end hardship of people's lives. If you look at the people who followed Jesus, their life did not get easier. (laughs) Yet, there was peace. God's peace goes deeper than we expect. Consider what he did with these shepherds. God's presence went to those who were not allowed in the temple, outcast, suspect. And these would be the men, these incredible witnesses would be the witnesses that God would choose to make his announcement. And these shepherds went running and they told everyone about Jesus. The shepherds were restored to their deeper purpose. That's what peace does. That's what shalom does. It restores us. It makes us whole. For these shepherds, just think about if you were told over and over again that you were unclean, you were outcast, you were suspect, what that would do not only to your sense of identity, but your soul. And then God's peace comes, declares that favor is given to you, peace is given to you, and then they are sent out as different people. They were restored to their deeper purpose. What is one of our ways of understanding our deeper purpose? There's a historical creed uh, called the Westminster Catechism, and it says this, that this is the point of humanity. This is the purpose of our life. It is to know God and to enjoy Him forever. That's the purpose of your life, is to, is to know and to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. But I'd, I'd like to add something to this, if I could be as, as pompous, uh, if I could be. He goes forth, and also to believe somehow that God enjoys you too. That somehow to believe that God actually, like there's favor that God gives to surprising people. That, that there's favor that God gives those, yeah, I added my name there, just a <laughs> trademark right there. That, because I think, I think many of us believe that like, yeah, I know God forgives me or loves me, whatever. But do you actually believe that, like, God enjoys you? Like, God, like, wants your time, he wants your presence, he actually delights in you, that he favors you? What would that do if you actually, like, truly believe that God doesn't only just tolerate you? He rejoices over you, delights in you. What kind of peace would that give you in your life if you actually, like, believed that? You have to take that in. Jesus came to this world to give deep peace, the type of peace that does more than stop conflicts for a while and deals with the surface, that Jesus' peace goes all the way in, inside our hearts, and pulls us out. And if we're honest, many of us really actually want God to give us peace on the surface of our life, to to change my circumstances, the issues I have. But but can you change all that and just leave me alone? Like, can you, can, you, can you work with all that, all the conflict over there, but just don't mess with me and my life? Don't change me? True peace is given from the inside out. The type of peace that Jesus gave, the deliverance and the freedom he gave was the inside out. The Prince of Peace is more concerned with your soul and your heart that you could know that God delights in you, that you could glorify God and enjoy him forever. 
And then God will birth out transformation from here, changing our society, changing our deeper needs as well. But it begins in here that heaven's presence can be surrounding us in our life, declaring God's favor, believing that might bring us about a deeper sense of peace. This is what God would do again and again and again. Thirty years later, uh, after, after this, God's grace would appear to an unexpected man by the name of Paul. And Paul would be transformed by God's grace, by God's peace. And he actually began planting churches and helping support churches, church plants just like this. And he even helped a church plant in Rome, of all places. In Rome, think about it. The same community that was oppressing Israel. Okay, we're going to start a church there. And so Paul wrote to Rome, this church in Rome. In Romans 5, he says this. And he just starts describing a deeper peace. This is Romans 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, another way of saying that is because we've been made right in God's eyes through faith, not what we've done, but what Jesus has done, we have peace, deep, soul-filled, enduring wholeness. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, our Prince of Peace. Through him we have gained access by faith into this grace in now which we stand. Because of Jesus' work, we can experience the life that we were created to have, to have this uninterrupted life and joy with God. That is what Jesus was trying to accomplish. That was the peace that this prince was bringing into our lives. It makes me ask the question of like, is this where I now stand? Do I actually stand on this? Do I, am I actually building my life from this place? Am I standing on Jesus' peace today? Are you standing on Jesus' peace today? Are you building your life upon Jesus' peace? Or are you standing on your own moral scorecard? Are you standing on a pile of regrets and failures? Are you standing in a place of just pursuing a wild, a wild dash of pursuing approval of other people? Or are you standing on God's peace? God's deep peace that only emerges from one place, the Prince of Peace. So once we've experienced the surprising peace that goes all the way in, goes deeper than we expect, we finally realize that this peace was meant to change the world. God's peace changes the world. By choosing to receive the Prince of Peace, by like for me in my life, choosing to receive the Prince of Peace, I have chosen to enter into His kingdom. By you receiving and choosing to build your life on God's peace, you're now choosing to enter into that kingdom. That means that you're now living underneath His rule, you're following His example, you're giving out His peace as He does. Not out of the sense of duty, but out of the sense of gratitude, we are now living in this kingdom, the kingdom of the Prince of Peace. What that means is that we don't get to pick who else is in the kingdom. As much as we might like to, it's not our kingdom. And we need to remember that his peace is surprising. It blew past every barrier that they expected then, and it might still today. And I believe, and I'm just going to confess a little bit here to make you feel a little okay for me to share some hard words in a second. Um, I believe, and I'm tempted to believe in a lie, that I can receive Jesus as my Prince of Peace, but live under my own rule. To order my life how I want to. <laughs> that can't happen. If we enter into this Prince of Peace, if we enter into his kingdom, it's his rule, it's his reign, it's his peace, the way he wants to give it. And this is so pivotal in our world today 
because it seems like, and I could be alone in my perspective of this, but the dividing lines in our culture are getting stronger and stronger. We're becoming more and more polarized. Our different camps of ideology, ideology are becoming more and more galvanized. We're actually becoming more isolated from one another. And our culture is becoming, or becoming, in the midst of all that, loaded with aggression, bitterness, and opposition towards one another. And what is dangerous is that after a while, we actually start believing that my enemies are God's enemies. Those who oppose me oppose God. We weaponize our faith. We weaponize this prince. And we become more and more divided. We have to wonder, whose kingdom are we living in? Just a question for you to consider today. Who is someone that God absolutely loves and you can't stand? Who's like someone in your life, like today, that you're just like, God's got to love them. I can't stand them. <laughs> Heidi, what is, like, you're like, when you're, your voicemail, and this is like the worst sermon moment ever, uh, your voicemail, at the very end of it, you said, God... Hey, there you. <laughs> Remember, God loves you and I'm trying. Thank you. Thanks for letting me go off script. I mean, like, but like, if we live in this kingdom, can we look at each other through that lens? <laughs> like it's, and I'm not saying for us to be bad like citizens. I'm not saying for us to be bad Americans or downplay them. Like, I love our country. I love Austin. I think God loves Austin. But it's important for us to remember we're part of a different kingdom. And that kingdom has to look a lot different than what we're living in today because we have a different prince who seems to pay very little attention of who we think is in and out. He pays very little attention between us and them. I think the dividing walls that we experience in this world, I think Jesus is longing for those dividing walls to be the places where heaven rushes, that there could be worship of a prince of peace, that those dividing walls and barriers get to be a place where the prince of peace can show off. We get to participate in that. That's why last week, and this is a small thing, but that's why last week we're, we brought an Episcopal church up here, a church plant. We're going to pray. We're going to celebrate for them. Why? We're part of the same kingdom. <laughs> like We're worshiping the same prince. And we're not going to be tempted to drawing lines between us and them. This is what the Prince of Peace has always done. In, in the beginning of the church, he broke down walls between us and them. This is, listen to this. This is Ephesians 2. When there's a dividing law between who was Jewish and who are now converts to Christianity who weren't Jewish. This is what, uh, this is what was said. Paul said in Ephesians 2. For Jesus himself is our peace. It's not a thing that happens, an event. Jesus is our peace, who has made the two groups one, destroying the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. His purpose was to create in himself one humanity out of the two, thus making what? Peace, oneness, wholeness, shalom, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. Upon that cross, this is what this means, upon that cross were not only the sins of the world, but the barriers in which humanity placed between one another. Jesus destroyed them and might still be doing so today. That might be God's longing today. Verse 17, he came and preached peace 
to those who are far away and peace for those who are near. For through Him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that kind of peace that like this world's longing for? In the shadow of Jesus' cross, there is no dividing wall of hostility. There's no barriers that we have that, that Christ can't overcome. There's no racial barrier, ethnic barrier, economic barrier, no group with more status or privilege. It's not what Jesus did. What there is is peace. Surprising peace. Peace that goes deeper. And peace that can change this world. This is the prince's kingdom. And what this world needs right now is not a weaker idea of peace. It needs shalom. It needs this world to be restored, to be made whole. And for better or worse, God's primary way of bringing about his kingdom is you. It's us. Maybe that's why Jesus said in Matthew 5, 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Let's celebrate Advent. Let's bring peace.